So welcome to the next episode of The Shredder Show. Uh, me and the guest we have now, who's absolutely awesome, we've already been gossiping and chatting for about 20 minutes. So I thought we'd better get started. So uh, great pleasure to have Dr. Trevor Backmeyer. How do I pronounce that? Backmeyer. Backmeyer. Is that German? Yes, it is. There you go. I'm part German myself, so that's why I can understand it. There you go. Um, also known as the fittest doctor in the world as well. I thought sure when I was doing some research on you before, and obviously I've had a look through a lot of your content, which is incredible, Thanks. by the way. I like, can tell from initial conversations, I feel incredibly uplifted before we even start this podcast. So for anyone who's tuning in now, you're in for an absolute treat. I can tell you have had an absolute roller coaster of a life and achieved a lot of things and been through lows and a lot of highs. And I think this is going to be a very inspiring. So the first thing I want to get started with, uh, with Dr. Trevor, I saw you post before Homeless to Millionaire. Talk about that first. So that's actually, I, I'll make it a short story. So I lived in my car. I lived in a 1991 Acura Legend. Uh, four doors, driver's window wouldn't go up. I mean, I slept with a screwdriver underneath my arm because I didn't want to get jacked in the middle of the night sleeping in parking lots because I had nothing. So I, I, I originally, uh, I made a lot of money. I was a doctor, I made a lot of money, and I just went bananas. And I spent a lot of money, and I made a lot of really bad decisions. And without getting into you know, how bad these decisions were, whether it was relationship or fitness or health or just spending money. I just spent money and I had no direction for where I wanted to take my life other than I wanted to, I chased everything. Like I chased money, I chased people, I chased girls, I chased, like I chased everything instead of earning, you know, like if that makes sense, I I kept trying to acquire more because it wasn't, it was never enough because what I had, I was always looking at where it was next, right? And it's that, that old phrase where the grass is greener when you fucking water it. It's not greener on the other side. And I kept looking at the other side thinking it was always better. I had the worst FOMO in, on, on earth. Then I, I, got, um, I got really sick and, and I lost everything. I spent a lot of money and, uh, and I had, all I had was this car. I got evicted. I lost all my stuff. And I remember being in my car and that was one of the first times I've, unfortunately, I've tried to take my life twice. And I sat there and I spent 20 bucks, that's all I had, on pills, doesn't matter what they were. I put them in my mouth in this parking lot and I was bawling my eyes out and they were so bitter and I I just, I couldn't do it. And I spat them, I chewed them up and then I wound up spitting them out. Well, enough got in my system that I passed out. And I got found by these kids because I didn't pay attention to where I was. I was in a fucking school parking lot at night. And they found me in the morning and this one kid said, the other kids kind of freaked out, but this one kid, he was probably my son's age, my son is 12. And he said, I'll stay here till he's, till the ambulance comes. Like we called the ambulance, they're gonna come and help you. And he's like, I'll just stay here. And he's like, hey mister, like, are you okay? And he was just talking to me like a regular guy and I was super spacey and you know, they obviously came and took care of me and then wrote up all kinds of fun things in my file. After that, I kind of started to put my life together. But during that time, I mean, I was stealing groceries to survive. I was sneaking into gyms to take showers. I'd steal toothbrushes and underwear and clothes and towels and anything because I, I had nothing. Like, I literally had nothing. I, I was, I, I'd be thrilled to pick up a quarter in a parking lot. And I used to sit there and watch the gym till nobody was at the counter. And then I would go in, quickly take a shower, and I would just act as if I belonged there. I kept one set of decent clothes to look like I belonged there. And then I would leave. Well, fast forward to the next phase of my life where I was in this apartment and it was another one of these, I had gotten cancer and uh, they gave me nine months to live. And they said, you're, you're not going to make it. 
I had stage three B non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and they said, you're, you're out. There's nothing we can do. Your white blood cell count is, is too low. Your red blood count is, is too low. You're just a train wreck, and you can't even do chemotherapy. And at the time, I was so panicked because all I knew was I got to do chemo. I got to do surgery. It's the only way to, to fix cancer because that's all I knew. And when you're terrified like that, you make a decision to go that direction as fast as possible because you're making that knee-jerk panic reaction instead of stopping for a second. And what I say to my son and my daughter and, and my wife and, and myself is that you take a knee and take an inventory of your surroundings. And by surroundings, I mean your life, where you're at, where your headspace is at, and stop for a second. Assess where you are and then make your decision. And I didn't do that. And, and so I just quickly went, well, I, I didn't know what to do. And I thought, well, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go out with a bang. And I went through everything I had. It came to the point where I was in my apartment. I had shitty old furniture. I had lost everything. The girl I was with at the time, uh, when I told her I had cancer, she up and left. Uh, told me it was my fault that she was so miserable with me having cancer and that it was just this ridiculous thing that I've never even heard somebody say something like that. Like, it's your fault. You have cancer. I can't deal with this. She bounced. Literally, I came home to notes all over the house. Like, I, I never saw her. I sat there in my apartment, and I looked out my patio, and my door was open, and I said, God, you better give me a reason to be here uh, because I'm not going to go out like this. I'm not. And I was mad. I was mad at God. My parents, everybody hated everybody. And I said, I'm not going to go out this way. I'm going to, I'll fucking do it myself. I will not let you win because I had the wrong view of God and what the world was. And then I chambered around and I sat there and I debated on how I was going to do it. And I started bawling my eyes out because I couldn't. And uh, I fell asleep on my floor. And two days later, uh, I met my wife. I met this incredible woman. And people hear this as, oh, yeah, she's incredible. No, she's my best friend. She's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And she's been through a shitstorm with me, up, down, and sideways. And she has kept me focused because even when she wants to slap the shit out of me for being an asshole, she still keeps me grounded. And, and uh, her name's Brandy, and she's everything to me. And... I remember three months after we met, we were engaged. Three months after that, we were married. And about five months after that, we had a little girl. And what's crazy is I remember our very first date. She was sitting across from me. We were at a, a Chevy's. And it's like a Mexican place here. It was in California. And there was nobody in the restaurant for some reason. It was like noon. And I said, oh, fuck in my head. I'm like, I got to tell this girl I got cancer. And it was our very first date. And I'm like, I got to tell her I got nothing. Like, I, I'm not going to make it. I already knew. Like, I knew the day I saw her and I had seen her a year before. She blew me off a year before. Just when I walked by and said, hi, she rolled her eyes and looked at me and kind of was like, whatever. And if you've ever seen my wife, she is gorgeous and she's an amazing person. And she's got this great personality and she'll light up a room just by walking in. And, and she's a, an amazing human being. And so I was like, well, fuck. That's all I got, you know, but next thing you know, I'm having lunch with her a year later. And, and I didn't even put that together until that time. And I thought, I got to tell her, I got to tell this woman I'm crazy about that. I'm not going to make it and take the chance of her going, I can't get involved with you because I can't, I can't feel that loss. 
And I thought, I can't be that asshole that selfishly waits until I'm so sick and crippled that I go, oh, by the way, I knew. Like, that's a real dick move. And I'm like, I can't do that. So I said, I got to tell you something. And she goes, is it about cancer? And I said, yeah, that's weird. And she said, yeah, the people at the gym were telling me that you're, you're actually really sick. You're not doing so well. And I'm like, I'm not. And I said, Brandy, they didn't give me a lot of time. And she didn't miss a fucking beat. She said, if you have two months or two minutes or two hours or two days, I don't care. She says, I'll take it. And the rest is history. I knew right away. And so we got married. I spent every dime I had on getting married. We went to Italy, got married in this, got married in this place called San Gimignano. And I came back and I had about three grand to my name. And I went, fuck, now what do I do? And I made the decision to put everything I got into making sure that she never had to worry. I took the focus off of me chasing everything. And I put the focus on to how can I make her life everything she's ever wanted? How can I make it safe and secure? And, and the reality is there's no safety and security that it can, I could lose it all like this. That's not the issue. What I learned was you can't take away everything that I learned that made me and gave me the ability to do that. And one year later, I became a millionaire and I opened up a clinic. We spent every dollar opening up this clinic. We just had a baby and my in-laws and my wife were there right after having a baby. We built this clinic. I went full throttle into helping as many people as possible. And I mean, there was a friend of ours that we knew that has, he has this huge um, cleaning company and he had this Ferrari in his, in his garage. I didn't believe that people actually even had real Ferraris. Like I'm like, nobody has that. And it was this badass car. And I remember seeing it when she was house sitting, we were dating and I said, I'm going to own that car. And it wasn't, I'm going to own one like that. I'm going to own that one. Two years later, I get a phone call from Jack while my parents are at my house. And he goes, Hey Trevor, I just want to know if you still want that Ferrari. And I went, I'll take it. And I will hold on. Can you say that again? And I put it on speaker and I let my dad listen to it. And I go, dad, check this out. And he's like, yeah, I just want to know if you still want the Ferrari and we can do the deal and you can pick it up on Monday. And I'm like, I do, man. Thanks. And my dad just smiles and he goes, you made it. You made it. And it wasn't the car. Like, I don't care about making a million dollars. I don't care about making a hundred million dollars. I care about what it fucking makes of you as a person to be able to do that. Cause you have to change who you are. And that's what became that. That's what changed in me is I went from zero to a million when I changed how I was thinking and I obsessed about creating a different person. I went, who the fuck do I have to become to earn my wife? Who do I have to become to earn being the best father? Who do I have to become to earn that kind of wealth? Who do I need to become? I was too busy looking at what do I have to take? What do I have to get? What do I have to sell? And none of that mattered. It's who do I have to become? And then stuff just shows up. And next thing you know, one company, two companies, three companies, four companies, and I'm just having fun with it because the minute you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And you know, I watch you all the time. You're nothing but shits and giggles and smiles. Like you're just the happiest person I've ever seen. And I love that. But it's because you like what you do. And when you love what you do, you never work. And the byproduct is when you start going, asking what you're worth, the, the revenue shows up. When you don't believe you're worth enough, the revenue never shows up and you go home bitter going, I wish people would pay me more. I wish I had more money. Well, none of that ever got anybody anywhere. You go home angry and upset and you drive people away instead of going, I'm worth this. 
And if the people go, I don't think you are, you find new people to aim your, your service and your product and your resources at. I agree. Right? I, think, I think it's one of those and, things. It's like, like you were saying then from a business perspective, if you want to charge more, you've got to become the person who's worth being paid more. Correct. And that starts money. here. Like that's here. It has nothing. Listen, there are people lined up, millions of people lined up to pay you, me, and everybody else that has something of value to offer. There are millions of people lined up ready to write massive checks because they want what you have and they want to learn. And our job is to give them that and then some. It's to always go to that next level. I don't believe I had a coach one time tell me you have to always under promise and over deliver. And I think that's the shadiest fucking thing you could ever do because that means you're holding back your ability. So you look better. That's douchey, man. I over promise everything. And then I just over deliver like a motherfucker. Like I just go crazy delivering as much as I can because that I think determines your worth. Because if you're like, I'm going to hold back a little, even though I know I'm capable of this, that's like gaming somebody. It's like white men can't jump. They go out on the court and they, they goof around. And next thing you know, it's like, they're really just super good at basketball. And they just start stopping like, you know, nothing but taking it to the paint every time. And I'm like, that's not, that's not being, that's just gaming somebody, which is what you're doing in sales. If you're doing that. So I just go all in, you know, and, and I don't ask them if they want to buy my product or service. I expect them to, once I talk to them, because I don't sell for my heels. I go, here's what I got. Here's what it'll do for you. Here's what I need you to do next. The end. The recipe is simple. You know, I just ask. People get real weird about asking for money. The worst thing they can do is say no. I think uh, we live in a society of fear where people are afraid to ask. Would you agree? Absolutely. And they're afraid to ask for anything, though. They're afraid to ask for the relationship. They're afraid to ask for the health they want. They're afraid to ask for the money because they're, too, they're, they're being like they're being inundated with the hypnosis of social conditioning where they are told that in order to get along, you need to go along. Well, that's inaccurate. I am me there in the history of history has never been another me. There has never been another you. So I'm going to be the best fucking me ever because I know nobody else can. I'm really good at only one thing. That's it. Just one. I suck at so many things. I don't even bother trying to do them because I'm terrible at them but I'm good at one thing and that is being Trev. I'm good at me. So I just do me. I stay in my lane. I don't try. Everybody's trying to be someone else. Dude, they're already taken, man. Be you. Vibe with the people that you want and don't worry about the people that aren't vibing with you. Your job isn't to convert them. Your job is to stay in your lane and focus on the people that resonate with you. There are millions of them. I think one of the big reasons for that I see, and I think it applies a lot to, fitness and business is people get bored so they it's like red shiny object syndrome they see i've got a shiny object in my hand out of interest um but <laughs> they i play with rant. it's a gold bitcoin out of interest a random one i, I like see that. people get distracted all the time and they're doing really well at something or even like oh, i used to be that when i was younger for example i'd get really good at a certain sport and i'd be like i'm bored of this now i'm gonna do something else and that's i think the biggest mistake most people make is not becoming a master at something they get only good and yep. they don't go to the elite level, which is where That's success really happens. Death, man. Kiss of death. I mean, that old phrase, you are a, you know what, a, a jack of all trades and a master of nothing. The, to be good at a handful of things, that's like, like, it's like my dad, right? My dad was a school teacher for 25 years and a pastor for 27 before he passed away. But he went all in on what he did. And I used to look at my dad and be like, Fuck, my dad is good at everything. No, he wasn't. He was terrible at a bunch of shit. But as a kid... 
I looked at it and I was like, he's this jack of all trades. But the older I got, the more I realized, no, he wasn't. And he was okay with that. We're taught to be good at everything. Like in a company, this is the best. I see this all the time. This is the ultimate fail. They have to be good at marketing. They have to be good at sales. They have to be good at closing. They have to be good at net at networking. They have to be good at internet. They have to be good at web design. They have to be good at social media. They have to be good at copy. They have to be good at video. But it's all the same person. Are you nuts? That's the fastest way to burn out and hate what you do. Even though you love what you do, you just associate with all the minutia that you're doing. And then people come back with this. I, I can't afford to hire anybody, Trev. Oh, bullshit. You just went out and you bought a $5.72 latte at Starbucks. You do that seven days a week. Listen, motherfucker, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but you are spending a couple of hundred dollars a month on coffee. If you are broke, like if I couldn't afford this, if I couldn't, and this is just black coffee with a little bit of sweet cream in it, it's the cheapest coffee there is. But if I couldn't, I'm giving Starbucks such a plug, right? Schultz should just give me some money. So, but if I am, if I can't afford that because I am doing something else that, it, that requires money, I, I can't afford it. Let me take that back. That's a terrible phrase. But if, if my money should be allocated elsewhere versus this coffee, then I should be smart enough to go, I should allocate these funds elsewhere until I don't just buy the coffee, I buy the company. People make mistakes, right? Is, is they, get, they, they go, but I have to be good at everything. No, you don't. You have to take your business and go, what, are, what is the three to 5% that I kick ass at? That only, that only Charlie can do, that only Trevor can do, that only Brandy can do, that only my son or my daughter can do. What is the only thing that they can do? Nobody else in the company can do it. Do that. Everything else, pay someone to do. You can go to Fiverr and you can hire somebody for 50 bucks. Also, it's a chance that probably the things you, you don't like doing, you're not very good at anyway. So it makes sense right? to get rid of them and you'd be happier and you'd be more successful anyway. Oh, infinitely more successful. The day I got a tech team, I mean, my tech team is 12 people. The day I hired, I just went, fuck it. I got a tech team. And I started throwing them stuff. And every time I came up with a new idea or like, hey, do you guys know how to do this? His answer is always the same. One-stop shop, brother, throw it at me. And I was like, I don't know. Do you guys know how to do Facebook marketing? Yeah. Do you know how to, how to link a pixel? Yeah. Do you know how to set up a funnel? Yeah, cancel click funnels. I'll set up a better one for you. Really? You just save me $3,600 a year, man. I'm like $300 a month. I got nothing against, you know, Brunson, but I'm just like, his, his product is fucking epic. But if I have a team that can do it and they can do it infinitely better and faster and exactly how I want it with me sitting in front of my Mac, dude, I'm going to write a check because it's smarter because then I don't have to stress out about it. My wife sat there and watched me for three days straight try and figure out how to link a Facebook pixel to ClickFunnels. I, if I wasn't bald, I would have been bald. I was losing my mind. It was 10 hours a day. I sat at my dining room table about ready to smash my Mac. I was like, I'm losing my shit. I, she goes, why don't you just ask the tech team? I'm like, nah, they don't know how to do this. They, don't know, how to make, they know how to make web stuff. Nah, just ask them. Nah, they don't know how to. I was just oh, fucking like this. And then I finally send him a message. He goes, yeah, it's easy. Here, 30 seconds. I send him what I'm having trouble with. He sends me back the answer in 30 seconds. He goes, I already took care of it for you, brother. Nothing to ask him. It cost me three days of my life that I will never get back to try and figure it out myself. That's the problem. You do not get your time back. But people don't understand the most valuable thing we have, which you can never get back is your time. Oh, it's, take, the, it's a critical asset. And to take that back into a fitness perspective, and like you see this, I see this all the time, people not willing to invest in themselves, oh. and then they moan they don't get results. So like 
the thing is what we provide to say what the tech guys provide with you that time is speed and certainty because we know what the answers are to the questions right. you have and we know the questions you're going to ask before you even get there we Always. have it mapped out so it's like it's easy when you know how it's easy yeah. you just don't know what you don't know it's the blueprint right and unfortunately google makes everybody an expert and i got nothing against google the issue is everybody knows enough most or not everybody but most people know enough just to be dangerous and they're dangerous to themselves they're not dangerous to someone else they go in i mean google is littered with fitness plans and programs for 10 cents and free and youtube and everybody's got this stuff and i mean like one of my friends jeff cavalier he's a great guy halfway next like he's he makes programs all day long. He gives his shit away for free, and the guy makes about a half a million dollars a month on YouTube. I think that's badass. But he also has programs for sale. But the, the reason I bring that up is because he is the master of his space. He has never opened up a clinic. He's, he's, a, he's a physical therapist. He's never opened up a clinic. He makes way more than any physical therapist out there because he's not, he doesn't want to do that. He's like, this is how you fix an injury. This is how you train. This is how you get ripped and shredded. The end. And he's really good at it. But he stays in his lane and he knows what he knows and he doesn't try and do something else. You know, he doesn't try and reinvent the wheel. Like somebody doesn't go, dude, I got this great idea for square wheels. I know nobody's doing it, but they're super stackable. So they're easy to restore. Hey, dumbass, they're square. They're not going to work on the freeway. Yeah, but they're, they're new. They're square. New doesn't mean better. In fact, the old school training, guaranteed, how many times have you found that? Old school, regular methods of training and eating work. Yeah, it's not rocket science, and like rocket science is rocket science is complicated. But what we do, or even building businesses, is fairly simple. But fitness, in particular, is the simplest thing in the world because there's not really any external factors other than no. the person involved maybe having weak psychology and they can't adhere to it, or they're self sabotaging themselves. Correct. Yeah, they come up and they get this voice in their head, and they go, "Well, geez, you know what? I I really want to want this Charlie guy to to help me and and." he's got really great success and I really like his energy and he's got these really good programs. But I had trouble just doing P90X when I bought it from Tony Horton, you know, from beachbody.com like 12 years ago, I couldn't stick to it in my own living room. I don't, I don't have the confidence to stick to it with Charlie and he's asking me for $10,000, but I have the money. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to stick to it. So I've already, that skepticism is built in. That dialogue is built in. And our job is to answer the question that's first and foremost in their mind, address the skepticism by helping them, in advance we give them some information to help them in advance and they start to know like and trust you because they see you genuinely care and they see that you genuinely know your shit and that you actually can provide a service that answers their question by showing them that number one it's okay number two it's not their fault and number three that here's the answer and how to get out of that mindset when you give them the answer and the tool to do it before you even sell them a product they already want to buy your product. And I think that's where people make the mistake is they try and, and beat that skepticism away as a, as, as a fitness, um, you know, a fitness business, as a trainer, you're never going to do that. You will never, ever get someone to change their mind. You'll never do it. Never. You will get them to make a new decision. And there's a difference, you know? And so when you give them the answers in advance, you create what I call the halo effect, which means they, they see that you're just pumping out content and help and it's all free. So when you ask them for money, they already like you, know you, trust you, and they know that you're bringing good things to the world. So they go, yeah, of course I'll buy your stuff. You've been helping me for six years. It's a uh, law of reciprocity, or whatever the word, I can't pronounce it, but whatever the word, that's, that's what yeah. I'm trying to get out. Yeah. Um, and I know you're the same once you pump out tons of content as well on YouTube, Instagram as well. Like 
the, the amount of messages you get from people, people like random people who I don't know will just send me a, like a, a transformation. They're not a client, but like, I've, I've just applied everything you've, you share and look what I've done. Like that's sick. And that's where you have to stay, right? Like that's where you have to stay. You have to go, listen, I'm going to provide what I know. I don't try and know something else because it's not going to help. Then I just sound like an idiot. And if I can't back it in this kind of a fast conversation, I only, I have one answer. It's always the same. I don't know, but I'll find out for you because it's the honest truth. I think the more upfront and blunt and honest you are as a person, the better your quality of life is because you can't fuck up your own story. Like you can't screw up your own shit. It's just you. When people try and invent something and they're like, I'm this or I'm that, or I know how to do this, or it's this random new fancy program, dude, you're just setting yourself up for failure because if you can't back it up, you can't do it. And I think most trainers try and sell a program that they don't do themselves. I don't sell anything I don't do. Every single program that is, is, is put out, I do. If I'm not going to do it, I, I can't commit to it because I don't buy into it. If somebody's like, hey, I love dedicated, complete CrossFit, that's awesome. I, I've had fun doing CrossFit. I've also been injured as fuck doing CrossFit. And I got nothing against it. I think it's badass. Nothing will get you more shredded and jacked on the planet. However, nothing will get you more injured and is not, and nothing is littered with more idiot coaches that have no idea what they're doing because they took a two day weekend course on how to be a trainer because they thought that they could make millions of dollars opening up a gym for $200 a month when nobody's going to pay it. So I think that's the problem is they're trying to sell a product that they don't do. It's like me going, listen, I got all these great yoga programs. You don't look like a yoga dude, I have to say, Trevor. No, no. And you know what's funny is in my clinic, somebody actually thought that's what I did. I'll never forget, they said it to my staff. They're like, he's like a yoga guy, huh? I'm like, that was, I was like 210 pounds. I'm like, I am 210 with a neck like a linebacker. I'm not a yoga guy, man. People come up with weird things. 100%. With the, one of the interesting things I noticed with, Say, not that I've ever really properly trained CrossFit, but one of my coaches, Dan, shout out to him, who is a phenomenally good coach, um, has lured me into doing some of it before. Is I almost, and I don't know if you, you find this, I almost find I'm trying to unteach myself good form of like conventional bodybuilding training because you, I'm used to locking down everything so there's no movement. And I almost find it impossible to like neurologically undo that switch of letting things go, if that makes sense. Yeah, you, got, you have to get loose. So what's really crazy is like a great example is my wife. My wife is this natural athlete. She's one of those people that you just give her something athletic and she's just going to be good at it. And there's, my son is the same way. You just give it like my son is like Tigger. He's made out of fucking springs and he knows how to do just about everything. And then you put him in jujitsu for eight years and he's this psycho little fighter. And yet he's the guy that will put you to sleep on the mat and then hug you. Like he's such a good kid, which is the right mentality. But my wife is this natural athlete. She... You give her any, she, she was a professional soccer player, like she's crazy good at what she does. But you watch her do an Olympic lift and Olympic lifts are very, I wanna say they're loose, they're not really, but they're definitely not a bodybuilding lift where it's like, like you look at Dorian Yates, right? Everything's real tight and very methodical and very linear and very like locked in form. That was the best description I've heard yet is you're just used to locking it in because you keep that bar path really smooth with whatever you're doing. Well, when you get into Olympic lifting, you're catching the bar and then you're stabilizing the bar and then you're moving the bar into a different position through a series of explosive movements, right? And so CrossFit is phenomenal if you focus on form first 
the workout second, but nobody does that. Here's what CrossFit does. You race the clock, you race your peers in the class, and you race the last time you did the workout, and you will sacrifice your body and your soul to beat it by one second when nobody's writing you a fucking check. So that's the problem I have with it because people get real loose and sloppy. So you're right. If you're going to do a workout like Fran, Fran is 45 thrusters, 45 pull-ups, 21-15-9, right? Well, if you're doing a thrusters really methodical and tight and you keep your form flowing with your thrusters, they're great. My wife can do thrusters all day long. I hate them. But she, she can do them really well. And then you get on the bar and you start doing these butterfly pull-ups. That's loose and sloppy. I've done strict Fran where I'm doing strict chest-to-bar. I feel better and my shoulders don't hurt. So I think what you're saying is like, you're right. We're used to being very, very like, like it's all methodical in how we work out when we're moving through the, the, the exercise. You have to completely retrain your brain to do the opposite of that. It's like, it's like going to jujitsu and you've never rolled before and you've got some kid that's half your age, half your size, who just literally has been rolling for 10 years and he's swimming around you and he's just kind of rolling you around and batting you around like a cat. And by the end of the hour, you are soaked in sweat. You've efforted so hard because neurologically, you have no idea how to do it. And this guy's like, I think I'm going to do this again for the next hour. Like it's so frustrating because we put so much effort into it because our brain doesn't know how to do it. So you have to retrain your brain. The problem is you've got to pick one or the other because you can't marry them. They're very tough to marry together. So like my training, we do more functional fitness. You know, I do some cleans and some jerks and some runs, but my pull-ups are always strict. My ring dips are always strict. I don't kip anything because I just don't think it's healthy. But that's also my opinion. You know, I'm sure I could go toe-to-toe with Greg Glassman and he's going to be like, well, actually, it's better for you if you kip. Well, you know what? And according to you, that's fine. I don't ever argue someone's philosophy behind why it's well and why it's great. I just go, it's not my philosophy. We just agree to disagree. But I think you have to undo a lot of training to do that kind of a workout. I really do. Uh, yeah, I think it's um, when you become very, ex- I don't know, I would call myself very experienced. I think when you get to that level, you suddenly, you pick up on those things and you become very aware of it like, neurologically. Well, you got to think your brain has to do something, right? Like I, one of my friends is Dave Spitz. He owns a company called CalStrength. And it's just Olympic lifting. Like they do like classic Olympic lifts. And he said to me one time, he made a very good point. I'm doing a clean and jerk or a, or a clean. He goes, there's no such thing as a squat clean. That's an invention. Every clean is a squat clean. You dump under the bar and then stand up, right? He says, so when I do those, I'm doing it because I want to do it once or twice, not 30 of them in a row. And I get it because your form, like form decays under metabolic load. That's just physiology. So now you're doing your snatches and you're cycling. You've got five in and now you're 10 in and now your snatches look like you're wrestling a grizzly bear and your shoulders are folding forward, and you're just this sloppy mess, and yeah, you're efforting like crazy, but at what expense? So unless you're like someone like Rich Froning, right? I mean, the guy is just a natural, fluid, you know, athlete. Same with like, like Khalifa, right? Like Jason Khalifa. Like these guys are so good at what they do, but they can maintain good form because they just have it. Their brain knows how to do that really well. But I think when you bounce back and forth between varying types of training, I think you're setting yourself up for a, a lot of damage because you have to turn off one area and turn on another, right? Like, like football players, these guys are gladiators. They do cleans, they do power cleans, they do squat cleans, they do snatches, but they do them as a workout to get more explosive and stronger. They don't do 50 of them in a row. 
you know, and I'm telling you right now, a 300 pound linebacker, when people go, I don't know, big guys are slow. Fuck, these guys run a 4-4-40 and they will run you down and beat you into the ground and they got you by 150 pounds. And I'm like, uh-uh, they are fast. I think uh, one of the things is an interesting saying, like the devil's in the dose. And I think a lot of those exercises um, are very good at low volume. But if you're going to do tons of reps, regardless of the weight, it's going to cause issues. Hell yeah. You, you, you reach that point in your physiology where your brain says go. Your body says, listen, dude, I can't, man. So your, your brain wins and says, body, you do this. So your body goes, okay, well, I have to recruit all kinds of different things to make it work. And now you've lost the benefit of the movement and you've gained injury. You know, like the guys that grab the 100-pound dumbbells doing this. And I'm like, dude, you're not doing curls. I don't even know what that is. It just hurts me watching. Grab the 30s. You'll be fine. And you know, time under tension is the be-all, end-all. It's the winner. That's where you get muscle size, muscle density. Dorian Yates was never in the gym for more than an hour. He was a freak. You know, still is a freak. And so I see that and I go, I think it, it, it's much more, it's about how you train versus, versus the what, you know? And I think that's where people make a mistake is they're always looking at the, shiny, the squirrel syndrome, right? The shiny object. It's like, oh, fuck, this is cool. I want to try this one too. All workouts technically work if you do them well enough and long enough. Just like all diets work for the most part. But people bounce around every two weeks and they wonder why they're not getting results. Well, try committing you know, to wealth, for example. Try doing this every single day for a year. I'll bet you at the end of the year, you go, holy shit, I have more money than I thought. Try doing this every single day for a year in your marriage and you'll go, holy crap, we've hugged more, kissed more, had more sex, laughed more, we've had a way better life. Try doing this every day in your fitness and you will be surprised at the results because health, wealth, and relationships are deficiency needs. You never think about them when you have them, ever. But when you don't have them, that is literally all you think about. That's very, very true. I've never thought about that in that perspective. So that's yeah. very well put. It's frightening, right? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think that's where it comes down to what motivates and drives people as well, I think, in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And usually it's something very superficial. They don't go, they don't go deep, right? I think they, they get really, really shallow and, and, and really wide, right? Instead of going real narrow and real deep for what their real reason is. And I think the why is what drives you to do something that you really are fired up and passionate about because it's easy, superficial you know, superficially to be passionate about something, but you, you suffer burnout a weekend because you're like, oh, I don't really like this. It's because you didn't really put what you want into it. That's why the people that, that hire you as a trainer, that hire me as a trainer, or hire me as a coach for business, I'm select, I turn away way more people than I take because I go, listen, your, your mindset isn't, I'm not your guy, man. You, you're not, you and I are not gonna congeal because you want something hard, fast, and easy. There's no such thing. They're short, because I look at things, how we can time compress the shit out of things, business-wise. Like I go, how can we make a million in three months instead of doing it in a year? How can we change our physiology and our, and our fitness in three months instead of a year? But, some, but that means the quality has to be there in that short period of time versus just increasing volume, because increasing volume doesn't change, whether it's business or relationship or, or health, it doesn't matter. You can't just randomly, you know, have this nebulous volume increase and then expect everything to be awesome because it never works because we get burned out because we keep trying a bunch of varying things. 
so people have to lock in to what they want and then stay there. And it's, that's what gets you past like being obsessed about what you want to the point where you're almost fanatical about it. That's when you win. That's when you fucking win. But I bet you've had this because people have said this all like loads, not so much recently, but like when I first started getting into this, like you're obsessed, like you work too much. All and I was time. like, fuck, like fuck anyone who says that. Cause I was like, that's why I've done what I've done. And I'm achieving exactly. what I'm willing to do more than anyone else. And it's the same with you. Exactly. I tell everybody, listen, I, I've been on, like, I was, I, I do seminars sometimes and I was, there was probably a thousand people in, in the audience. And I said, listen, I said, I promise you, I like everyone. I just fucking love all of you. Thank you so much for being here, but I will outwork everyone. You motherfuckers. No matter what you tell me, I don't care if you're younger, faster, stronger than me. I will outwork you. I will stay until I die before you will. I promise. That's why I'm up here. Because I, and I want to infuse that into people. You know, I think that's so important where you are so about something that you cannot think of anything else. That means you're doing the right thing, you know, because that gets you through the tough times. What led you to building the mindset you have? The, tr the challenges you've been through and overcoming those? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It, it, because I realized there's the people that walk the talk and there's people that just talk the talk and most probably 99% of the people out there just, they talk, they're really good at like, Oh, if I was in that situation, I would totally do the same thing, bro. And I'm like, I don't know. And even like recently, like, like two months ago, I almost died twice. Sure. I was in ICU for five days listening to the doctors beside me on the bed while I was laying on my stomach. Cause I couldn't even breathe on my side or back. My stats were 72. They're supposed to be 99. And I'm taking these shallow little breaths because I couldn't breathe. I just, I couldn't. There was nothing there. There was a big mass inside me. I didn't know. But at first, it was, it was the, the, the virus. I'm not going to say it because who knows what filter will kick in. <laughs> we'll get banned from everything in life. Yeah, fuck, right? So anyway, there was just this thing growing in me that wasn't supposed to be there. And the, the problem is that they, I listened to them talk going, we're going to have to put him on a ventilator because he's not going to make the night. I'm listening to them right beside me have this conversation after being in the hospital for three days because I woke my wife up at midnight going, I, you know what, I, you, you got to take me to the hospital. It's so bad. The pain was so crippling. The myalgia, the, the, my back and my legs, I, I was bawling. I was in so much pain. It was inescapable. And, and I was in the hospital and I'm laying on my side listening to this, crying texting my wife, telling her how to run my entire life and how to run everything because I didn't think I was going to make it. That's where I was. And I went, fuck. And my perspective changed. And I got home and I mean, you can, there's video after video of me out there with my little blue buddy, my oxygen machine, and I'm training. I came home and I started training and I had people, hundreds of them, bro, you just need to go inside and take it easy. Are you fucking high? That is exactly why I'm not going to take it easy because I'm not out there smacking the most crippling workout ever, but sitting on my couch waiting to get better. Oh no, they clearly didn't know me. But what I realized was as I was out there, there was times where I would just fall apart and be so frustrated. I just start bawling and I'd be upset or angry and I just drop the weights and I just be so upset because I was like, fuck, I could do so much a month ago. And now I can't do anything. I can barely do air squats before, without having to take a five-minute breather with an oxygen machine on. And then a couple of weeks later, I started getting all these other symptoms, and I stopped sweating, and I, was, I had to be back on oxygen full-time and all this stuff. And I'm like, something's not right. And I went to the doctor. They took an x-ray, and he goes, come here. And I go around the corner, and there's a volleyball growing inside my chest. 
this entire, like most of this lung is gone. There's a big volleyball in here and they went in and took it all out. And I had to wait three days for surgery. They brought me in and they couldn't find a bed or a surgeon. And it had nothing to do with that disease Thanks. that's floating. It was all different. It, that was just the catalyst because people are like, oh, that's from that. I'm like, no, it's not. Even the doctor goes, no, this is something different. And when they got in there, it was cancer. And it went full throttle. The doctor went in and said, it's so much worse than I thought. We had to take a large portion of your lung and uh, you're good to go now. Well, I remember when I came, like it was so fright frightening because I sat in my, in my hospital bed in ER for three days as they were like, you're gonna have to go out of state. We gotta send you to a doctor out of state because we don't have anybody here. And I'm like, fuck. And I folded my hands and if people believe in God, great. If they don't, that's on them, but I do. And I said, you know what, God, thanks for, for finding me the best surgeon and thanks for getting me healthy and thanks for giving me another 50 years with my wife and my children and, and all the people that I care about and thanks for everything. 10 minutes later, there's a knock on my glass door and the, the guy opens it up and I was standing there. They didn't even have a shower, so they gave me two buckets. One with soapy water, one with clean water. I'm standing there on a towel, butt fucking naked. And I'm like, hey, just letting you know I'm naked. And he's, I'm like, you haven't seen, it's nothing you haven't seen before, but just letting you know, not to be weirded out. I mean, walk in here and he stops and he goes, just letting you know your ride is going to be here in a half an hour to take you to the hospital for your surgery tomorrow. And I was like, holy shit. I text my wife, get the kids, we're going. So I quickly button up and go to surgery. And the next day, 1230, they take me in or they took me in early, 1145. And they cut on me for over an hour. And when I came out, I had a tube sticking out of me and I was higher than a kite. And I told them to get me out of that bed. And they're like, no, 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 sir. We, we got to wait a little bit. And I said, either you get me out of this bed right now or I'm getting out of this bed right now. And there's a video of me a half hour after being in the room carrying a box with my fucking blood in it and tubes coming out of my chest to this box, holding onto the nurse, walking around the room. And I was the only guy, I took my IV and my little box and I would walk around the nurse's station as many times as I could in a day without passing out. And every day I got a little more and every day I got a little more. My wife would come. It was, it was awesome. And the guy goes, you know what? Hopefully five days we can send you home. And they did. I came home. They wheeled me out in a wheelchair. I was, it was the most rough ride home because every little bump felt like I was being stabbed in the side. And I came home. And that afternoon I went out to my gym and I worked out with my wife. No oxygen. I mean, it was the most sad, slow workout, and it didn't matter. But I realized when I was in the hospital, people said to me, they're like, fuck, I can't believe this happened to you of all people. And I said, it can happen to anybody, and you don't know when. You have no idea when. And it changed my perspective to go all in on everything I do, all in on my wife, all in on my kids, all in on my business, all in on my friends, all in on everything I do. Because you don't know when you go to bed, people take it for granted that they're going to wake up tomorrow. But what if you fucking don't? And it's not a morbid thought. People go, well, that's pretty morbid. That's like saying a 747 is going to come out of the sky and crash into my house. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's saying that you decide that you get to do this once. You get one fucking shot at this. What is your legacy going to be for your family? I don't give a shit about my legacy about everyone else. I give a shit about my legacy for my wife and my kids. And the byproduct is the legacy for the rest of the world. But I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. And I love the people that are in my life that matter to me. And I realized as I'm in that hospital, I mean, I've been through this before and I lost some of that perspective, but I realized that's how fast I went from being able to do anything to being able to do nothing. And I went, 
I have a choice when I came home. Believe me, every workout I didn't want to do when I came home, I hated it. I'd fall apart. I'd cry half the time. I'd be upset. I'd be angry. I wanted to throw the weights at the wall. I was so frustrated and I'd spend my time sometimes going, I used to be able to do this. I can't even pick this up off of that. But I realized I can either sit there and bitch and moan about it or I can do something about it. And I said, I'm going to do something about it. And every day I'd go out there and I'd train and I'd get a little harder. One more rep, one more pound, one more step around. Like any, my first workout, I filmed it. I dragged a sled with a 45 pound plate around my entire driveway. Like we're on a bunch of acres and my driveway is this big round loop and it's like a 400 meter loop. And I dragged my sled around and around and around and around until I couldn't when I went back to the house. And all it did was afford me the luxury of having the perspective to go, I get to do this once. So if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to go all in on the people I love and I'm going to go and, and, and the businesses I care about and I'm going to earn as I'm going to get so fucking rich. And people go, well, that's pretty greedy. No, I'm going to get rich by helping so many motherfuckers get rich, get healthy, get happy. Because you could have anything in life you want, provided you help enough other people get what they want. And number two is, I'm going to make sure all my haters have a reason to fucking hate me. I'm going to make them hate me big. And I'm going to make sure that they cannot unsee me. That's what I said. And you know what? I've never stopped. Because you get, it's not a rehearsal. People go, I'll do it tomorrow. When people tell me, you know what? I'm going to pay you at the end of the week. I don't even bother with them anymore. Oh, I'm going to do this uh, by, by November this or by December that. Don't bother, man. I, I don't, if you can't do it right now, I'm not your guy. It's either in or not. Why do you think people have such a weak mindset with that? That was one of the things everyone always says to me is like, I implement things very quickly. If I just say I'm going to do it, I just do it straight away. And I just, sure. I get so frustrated with, I put a post up on uh, Instagram the other day, basically saying that people, it's people's own conscious choice if they're going to be overweight or if they're going to be in shape. And I got some hate on it. People saying, oh, you're like fat shame. And I'm like, well, it's not like, so like ca cancer happening wasn't your choice. That happened to you. Whereas people being overweight is their own conscious choice of what they eat, what they do on a daily basis. It's an accumulation. That. Yeah. You want haters, man. You want haters. Because if you got haters, you're doing it right. If everybody loves you and you're like this big little, like, you know, you're, you're, you're like a nomad. You know, you're just this, this, you just blend in with everybody. Nobody likes you. You're just neutral. You want those that love you and those that hate you. No one in between. And, and I don't think, like, it takes effort to be fat and unhealthy. It takes effort to be healthy. They both require effort. In fact, being fat and unhealthy, I think, takes more effort. I really do. I think being fit and healthy is easy. Now, what I do know, because it's just the same thing every day. It's just a routine. Just do the same thing every day. It's easy. It's so easy. And people go, like, oh, you're, you're insulting fat people. Well, if you're a fat person, you're insulted. And if you're insulted because I'm saying that, fucking shame on you, man, for letting yourself get like that because it's your fault. You why well, the gland problem? No, you don't. You've got, you've got a calorie problem. You eat too many. You have a, yeah, you have an eyesight problem and a self-control problem. And, and you think, I love me and love me big and beautiful and all this bullshit. Get out of here, man. I'm not expecting you to be some fitness model on a magazine. I don't care if you're that, but I care about it, whether or not you're healthy. And when people go, well, I'm, I'm healthy, you are 150 pounds overweight. Your heart, go like this. That's how big your heart is. The oxidative stress that you're putting your body into is ridiculous because it has to pump blood with a, a machine this big, and you're twice the size that you're supposed to be. Get out of here. You're nuts. And that's where I think people don't understand. Like, I like to be very much cruel to be kind. And I think people, if, if fat shaming is what it takes for people to take action, then it's good. Because... 
everyone needs something to give them a kick up the arse to change because nothing changes unless something changes. Well, and you, you cannot do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And that's what they're doing. That's Tony Robbins said, like it's the definition of insanity. You just do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. If they want a different result, you have to do a bunch of different shit and it's going to be uncomfortable and you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, but they don't, they don't want to do it. And they become obsessed with almost, they will go to war to be right just to not allow you to be right, even though they are wrong on an epic scale. And I think that's interesting. Or they go, well, it's easy for you. Easy for me? Fuck, are you nuts? I trained with an oxygen machine outside. There was nothing easy about what I did. I went from where I was to where I am today in 78 days, 80 days. And people, like I have a guy right now, a client, he was, uh, he, he had issues, the same ones that I had initially, it was eight months prior to, you know, about this week. And he's like, I'm still having issues and I'm still having problems. And in my head, I'm like, it's because you believe it and you keep chasing those symptoms and you are acknowledging all those symptoms. It's not that I didn't acknowledge the holes and gashes in my side and the tubes coming out of me. It's that I wasn't willing to accept it. There's a difference. They were there. I just decided when everything came out and I went on with my life, I wasn't going to accept that that was going to limit me. How would you practically sort of point in mind? I know a few clients who are like this. I find it difficult to guide people away from that where they say they start to lean on things as a crutch in terms of, Oh, this thing, which we all know we're talking about has happened to me and I'm still struggling with it 10 months later. Personally, I haven't had it, so I can't really comment or it hasn't affected me. I can't see it still being the whole the whole long this thing whatever it is that we're talking about um i can't see it having that much of an effect for that period of time i think again as you said it's people's limiting belief using as a crutch to lean on as an excuse rather than trying to maximize what they can do sure well think about this you can go to australia right now go to the aborigines find the shaman you can tell him that you don't like someone in his trap and he'll give you a little stick He'll do some stuff over the stick. And then he says, take the stick and point it at the person. And uh, in a couple of days, they will get sick and die. And so you grab this stick and point it at the person. And three, five days later, they get sick and they die. And people go, well, that's, that's not true. It's true as fuck, man. It's about as consistent and true as gravity, man. Because what you believe is what is going to happen. So if you believe you are incapacitated, if you believe that you are weak, if you believe that you are being affected by something, then you are being affected by that thing. Because the belief in the thing inherently defines the fact that you are affected by that thing. So if you change your mindset about it, then you define your outcome because of it. So I think what people do is they are so busy resisting, right? They go to war with what they used to be, what they don't want to be, what they hate about themselves. They go to war with, with how, they, how they dislike something, right? They create this dissonance and they go, I'm going to keep, like, I don't want to be that anymore. I don't want to be sick anymore. I was sick 10 months ago. I'm still suffering because of that. I don't want to do that and I can still feel it. Well, you keep staring at it, dumbass. So of course you're going to have more of it in your life. I think what needs to happen is you need to create a brand new version of your reality today that makes yesterday obsolete. And that involves changing how you look at it and not looking behind you at how something hurt you, affected you, made you sad, made you sick, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. People go, well, you have to acknowledge your past. Why? 
You cannot unring that fucking bell. You have today. You don't have tomorrow. Worrying about the future is anxiety and worrying about the past is depression. So why would you do either one? So you have to create your reality today. When you get up in the morning, if you are using that as an excuse, you're already looking behind you. If you're saying, well, I'm still suffering the repercussions of ABC, you are already looking behind you and trying to fend off what's behind you. Well, you can never change something that you keep staring at. So what I tell people is you have to create a new model of your life today, right now, that makes yesterday's model obsolete. And then you never have to worry about it. I do, I do massive, um, like, basically, like, program interrupts, like pattern interrupts. And I'm like, listen, every time you think about something shitty like that, you know, do like as many burpees as you can until you puke. And by the way, I never told you the first part, you're doing them naked wherever you are. You know, what's funny is you start stripping off your clothes and doing burpees in the middle of a shopping mall. You know, what's going to happen. Number one, people are going to look at you. And number two is you are not going to be thinking about what you were thinking about in that moment. You interrupted the pattern. You do that enough times, three, four, five times. I promise you, you'll never think about what happened yesterday again because you'll link up something different. People make these anchors and they wonder why they're failing because you're linking something in your present to something in your past and wondering why you're fucking failing. Create a new model, make that obsolete, problems solved. 100%. It's interesting. I was listening to a, a Tony Robbins thing today and he was talking about how he had, he gave an example of some woman came to him crying about his wife, about her husband. And every time... Just the water? Yeah, yeah. Every time she started crying, he'd throw water on her and then she'd be like, well, like what are you doing? And then she'd forget about the husband. And he's kept yep. doing it just to break he's that pan. Yeah, it's yeah. clever. Pattern interrupt. That's mm. one of the most effective ways to change. But you know, people do it wrong. They use something painful. You know, they'll take like a big elastic and whack on their wrist every time they think about something. Dude, all you're doing is trading one pain for another. Fucking crazy. You need to do something completely unrelated. If you start crying and messing around with, with you, what happened in your past yesterday, the day before, 10 years ago, do something completely different, you know? Go for a run, try and pick up your truck, you know? Wrestle with your baby girl, your baby boy, have fun with your kids, chase your dog, like do something totally unrelated and you will find three, four, five times later, you're not gonna have a problem anymore. 100%. Um, to start to wrap things up, Trevor, so I'm just aware of your time. Oh yeah, I just looked ready yeah. past 1230, gotta cut this short. That's right, what, what would be your, um, from a man with a lot of perspective, what would be your number one thing people should focus on for perspective and happiness in life? Really? This is easy. You're going to fucking die. It's truth, man. You're going to die. What are you waiting for? People wait. They're like, oh, I'm going to do this. I got my 10-year plan. I'm going to do this in 10 years. You're going to die. You, it is inevitable. You are going to pass away. You are going to move on to wherever it is you believe. Why are you waiting? Like, you have to ask yourself, if you had, if you had one hour if you had one hour, one hour left, and you knew you did, who would you call? What would you say? And why the fuck are you waiting? That's the way I look at it. So if you want motivating factor, stare yourself in the mirror, negotiate with your boss, and ask yourself why you're waiting to do anything. Because one day you will not look in that mirror anymore because you'll be gone. And that's what really struck me when I was in the hospital, laying on my side, bawling my eyes out, texting Brandy, going, this is how you run everything in my life, making sure she had every code, every every password, anything that she needed to know that, that I don't know if she had or she didn't. And I just want to make sure she had it all. And I realized, I don't know if I'm going to make it till tomorrow, but I want to make sure she's taken care of. The focus wasn't on me. The focus was on her and my kids. 
And I realized eventually this will happen and I will not come out the other side. You know, whether I'm 98 or I'm 58, whenever it happens, you don't know. You don't know. We're all standing in the same fucking line. We're getting on the same ride at the end, man. We are getting on that same ride at the end. And the ride is we all are all going to get on that roller coaster of you're going to die. It is that you don't know who's going to come in and out of the line at the same time. You don't know when they're going to leave, but we're all in the same line. So it's what you do in that line that matters. So I made the decision. Yeah, you're going to die. So and people go, oh, that's pretty dark. No, it's not. It's real. And it gives you the perspective to go, uh, it's today. I'm going all in. That's um, some wise and strong words to to take home and person that, that hits home a lot. So I, I take a lot of perspective from that. Um, people to find out a little bit more about you, Trevor, and to find out some of your wisdom and knowledge, where's best to connect? Uh, Instagram, Smashworks, W-E-R-X, um, smashworks.com, Diced for Life with the number four, dicedforlife.com is where all the fitness, all the coaching stuff is. Uh, YouTube, Smashworks is there. I mean, you can literally type in Smashworks or Trevor Bachmeyer and I pop up all over the internet. So anything, and if you got questions, hit me. You know, I, I'll answer anything I can. Now, I don't know about you, but that was probably one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done. I feel sincerely uplifted and also almost vulnerable at the same time. So the one thing I want you to take away from that is what are you actually going to do today to maximize your life if you're going to die tomorrow? Because Trevor's obviously been through the works and now has full clarity in terms of what's important in life and going full throttle and maximizing it. So it's now your opportunity to choose what you decide to do in terms of who you decide you want to be. And that's really what I want to leave you with. Obviously, we have a huge podcast really all going on at the moment. So if you want to get involved with that and win up to £1,500 worth of coaching from us, you want to win a £250 bundle from Muscle Nation. And if you would also like to win a £100 Tough Wraps voucher, all you have to do to enter is leave us a five-star review on iTunes and make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also share the podcast to your social media stories and i will be picking one winner in seven days time if you want to help with your own fitness journey as well drop me a message over on instagram linkedin or facebook with the word shredded and i will come back to you in terms of how we can help we can have an initial conversation and take it from there and we'll see you in the next episode of the shredded show